The Dow at record highs, the S&P at record highs, the NASDAQ at record highs, the TSX at record highs. What's not at a record high? The TSX Venture, mining and material stocks. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the delay from the nuclear fuel working group and the recommendations which many are whispering are coming down the pipeline. If not this coming week, the next one. Boeing, they've been sneaky. They're kind of like Bill Cosby. We've been trying to talk about the criminal enterprise that Boeing has turned into. They've gotten away three or four times, but like Bill Cosby, we're finally going to get to it this week. We're going to talk Colin Kaepernick. Evo Morales is out in Bolivia. Roger Stone and the draining of the swamp. I am Gerardo Del Real along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. This is episode 44 of Bizarro World. Nick, how the heck are you? I am entrenched in the resource space, Gerardo. I think we are truly, truly nearing a bottom, especially for the stocks we cover. And so I have turned my eyes partially away from the macro news environment, which I'm normally keen on watching. So maybe I'll learn a couple of things on that front from you this week. That's um, that's a lot of uh, that inspires a lot of follow up from me. So let me give you my quick take. Nothing uh, to add, really, other than more of what I think we expected record highs in the major U.S. indices. That is now a reality for all three of those. The dollar still holding that 98 handle. Um, gold was very, very resilient. It, it, it started pulling back and then it turned right around and then closed at the 1466 level today. I agree with you on the bottoming out process in the junior resource space for the better names. I would love to get more insight from you on why you believe that to be the case and what you're doing about it. How are you positioning yourself and subscribers to make some money off this thing in Q1 of 2020? Well, there's all kinds of things, Gerardo, and it's a, it's a very broad conversation, but... Fan, um, fan of the I broads, think, fan of the broads. Yeah, me as well, <laughs> and then we'll get a bit more, we'll get a bit more narrow, a bit away from the broads a little bit. Um, I think that um, crowds and, and people that Um, may not typically pay great attention to the market are starting to wonder about um, the length of the the bull market, which is is now uh, beyond record territory. And I'm starting to see a lot more in the general news space, just in, you know, the LA Times, New York Times, Washington Post type outlets about um, like slowing manufacturing indexes and the fact that um, GDP was only at 1.9% in the third quarter for the U.S. and about how China continues to slow down. And then you had Jerome Powell this week um, talking about how the the debts and deficit of the U.S. government was sort of unsustainable and telling Congress they need to act on that front to, um, I think we might have discussed last week, the, the new piece that Ray Dalio penned and, and other big, smart money folks talking about um, the trouble that's coming. And then, um, sorry, I'm just going to keep rambling. I've been looking at the auto space a bit because I've been seeing a lot of articles coming out of the auto space that are all kind of related, but nobody's tying it together. Like the first one I saw was about um, the global shipping giant Grimaldi and about how 
Um, it had a bunch of cars on its ships. I can put a link up to the article. I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but basically um, uh, the article was saying, you know, the last time there was this amount of cars on ships not headed to destination was, um, you know, back to the financial crisis of 2008, 2009. And then mm. I see articles about how, um, things that happened in the mortgage market back then, 2006, 2007, have been playing out now in the auto lending market. And we, start, we started to see articles about this a year ago, but just in sort of niche outlets. Now it's like New York Times articles about how um, basically people are having to roll over their outstanding principal on their car loan to buy a new car. And, and a lot of people are doing that. The numbers I read this week were like one in three new car buyers is rolling over debt. So, right, they still owe five or $10,000 on their car that they have. And they got to put that on top of the new loan for the car that they're buying. So they're buying a twenty-five or $30,000 car and their loan for it is forty dollars or $45,000. And not only that, but then they're taking them out on, on seven-year um, terms. And so, you know, that's like strike number two, that article that I saw. And then the last one I saw this week was how um, Chrysler was pushing cars on dealerships that they didn't want. And there was basically in the U.S. they had made dealerships take 40,000 cars that they didn't want. And it's um, it's a type of uh, practice to sort of obscure to analysts and investors how your inventory is actually moving and flowing. And surprise, and lo and behold, the last time the car makers used this tactic was also back before the financial mm. recession. And so I just see shifting problems. And, and I haven't given a definitive answer on anything here, but all the things that we talk about week, week in and week out are now coming to, to a head, right? And, and so I know everyone wants, um, you know, a catalyst. What's the catalyst going to be? You talk about the bonds in Europe. Um, and we had the inverted yield curve, which is sort of says that a recession is coming. And I just see more of the signs out in the open of um, trouble ahead. And then you look at the valuations. I'm going to go to the gold stocks now that we were talking about. Um, mm -hmm. You look at the valuations of some of those stocks, and they're just disproportionately low, like um, historically low, as you said, just the TSXV in general, but also low on like um, valuation metrics, like net asset value to, to share price and, and share price relative to ounces in the ground or whatever metric you want to to, to use. And you, you look at the charts and I was looking at, at, at one this week, you know, the, the sector in general has been down so, so far. And this tax law season has been so pointed that um, a lot of these stocks technically and fundamentally are as cheap as I think they can get. And that might be a foolish statement because we've been down and, 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 and beaten down for so long, but it's really looking like there's nowhere left to go, but up at this point. It's been painful. Um, I completely agree with you that when we look at metrics, you know, when you and I were in New Orleans, we had a gentleman, very intelligent gentleman that attended the the live taping of the podcast there, the live recording. And his question to us was, you know, as somebody that's accustomed to dealing with real estate and banking, I'm accustomed to metrics and numbers and, and tangibles and being able to measure things. And it's hard for me to do that, he said, in the junior resource space. Um, and, and I've been thinking about that question. And, and, you know, I keep going back to even in this depressed market with these depressed prices, when I look at the recent comps of, of, of takeouts at the, at the premiums, even in this market, and then I look at companies with assets 
They're just disproportionately beat up. Forget historically. Forget going back 50 years or 100 years. Even using the comps as, as you know, real estate lingo, the comparisons of today, of the past six months um, for the companies that have been bought out and what that looks like as far as dollars per gold ounce. I mean, the Midas golds of the world, the Almaden minerals of the world, the revival golds of the world, companies that you know have the wherewithal to raise capital, to survive bear markets, um, assets in the ground, exploration upside, excellent management teams. It's just hard to look at those share prices and not want to buy. I find myself doing this every week, so much so that I've turned down private placements recently because frankly, I don't want to be trapped into a stock for six months or a year when I can buy the Revivals, the Almadins, the Magnas, the Midases, all these companies, the Cucho Coppers of the world. I can buy all these companies today at prices which I feel are an absolute gimme and I have them and they're liquid and I can buy and sell them as I please. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes uh, 100% sense. And even across the value chain, you know, we've talked about how some of the, the mid-tiers and others have started to move. And some of those are still worthy of, of buying here. You know, one of the things I touched on in recent weeks was, you know, buying good companies ahead of earnings. And look at what's happened with companies like Detour and and Wheaton just put out earnings this week and, and went up in the face of gold going down. And so there's still plenty of opportunity out there in, 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 in the market. And those are some of the ones I'm looking at as well. You know, um, a lot of people do videos now, Gerardo. We're not the only ones that, that put our voices on, <laughs> on YouTube. And I've been watching some. Yeah, they don't have bobbleheads, though. I've looked, not to cut you off, but they don't have the bobblehead game yet. Step it up, people. That's right. They don't have intros like us. That's exactly right. But <laughs> I've been watching some real good, like real vision interviews, for example, like I watched one with Rick Rule, and then I watched one with John Hathaway, who manages the, the Tocqueville Gold Fund, which is um, now under the Sprott banner. And, you know, they're talking about um, companies that, that they like as their favorites, like Detour and, and Torex, for example. And so these are larger companies that are that are doing well because of a higher gold price. And so, yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're here across the spectrum. I read a quote earlier, and I'll, I'll recite it here in just a second, but just a little bit more on the macro. Global debt just surged to a record $250 trillion with a T in the first half of 2019, led by, of course, the U.S. and China. Um, Mr. Powell, Fed Chairman Powell, said in his testimony this week that if you look at today's economy, there's nothing that's really booming now that would want to bust. It's a pretty sustainable picture is what he said. And I can't help but think back um, to Greenspan and Bernanke after him and, and you know, just how they completely missed um, the dominoes lining up about to tip over the tremors before the earthquake. These are all metaphors and analogies I've used to subscribers, but they're all lining up. The tremors are here. I think the earthquake is coming and, and whether it's, you know, Deutsche Bank out of Europe and the derivatives mess that exists there, the bond market there, uh, whether it's Japan insisting on higher rates, which they say they want now. Um, or a record rally in the dollar, which causes a ton of sovereign defaults around the world, whatever it is, or a culmination of all those things, 
2020, I can't I can't express enough how volatile I think it's going to be. And I I I think and I've said it a million times, right? Broken record. Um, it, gold will benefit from it, and gold will head much much higher. But that comes with the warning that that will come with extreme volatility. The quote that I saw earlier today that I want to read, I thought it was appropriate. It says, in 1776, America declared its independence from Britain. In 2019, America declared its dependence on a worldwide group of central bankers led by the Federal Reserve here in the U.S., just like a third world country. I thought it was appropriate, and I figured I'd share it. You know, you look at these price scenarios for gold where you, uh, you hear people, including us sometimes, talking about five dollars or $10,000 gold or higher. And I was editing this newsletter promotion this week where the copywriter was trying to make a case for $10,000 gold, and he wasn't quite doing it justice. And so I was I was toying around with some numbers for a little bit, trying to come up with you know, what's a true case to, to, to make $10,000 gold? We've heard records and we've heard other people. And, and basically the case is this. If you take like the M1, current M1 money supply, which is greatly, greatly multiplied in recent times and divided by the amount of gold in Fort Knox, you get one number. It's like 20 some thousand dollars. Or if you take the global debt, that number you just mentioned, 240 or $250 trillion and divide it by um, you know, the Wikipedia number of all the gold that's been mined in the world um, that's above surface that's been, you know, liberated, you get a number that's similar to that, like thirty or $35,000. And then you can just sort of handicap that. Well, even if I'm half right, that's fifteen, ten, dollars or $15,000. And if I'm quarter right, that's $5,000 gold because we know we're not going back to a, a gold-based system, but you sort of just try to account for the paper debts that have been racked up relative to the amount of gold that's been mined. And those numbers... Um, they come with lots and lots of zeros after them. So, I mean, that's like the that's the overarching case of what we're talking about, the sheer amount of paper fiat debt that's been printed, right, divided by real hard money. Agreed. Agreed. Um, interesting times for sure. Let's stick with a sector that is out of favor, unloved. Um, everybody's bailing. I'm talking cannabis. I'd love to get your thoughts, Nick. You are sector agnostic. I tend to focus exclusively for the most part in just the resource space, but you are very sector agnostic. You go where the opportunity is. You've covered some cannabis plays. Um, a gentleman by the name of Jimmy Mangle writes an incredible newsletter for the Outsider Club, of which, of course, you are the founder of. So you have much better insight into that space than I do. Would you care to share some thoughts about where we are in that cycle? I read something you wrote earlier where you, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I believe you say there's some opportunities out there, but you have to be selective. There is plenty of opportunities out there. And so where are we in the cycle? Well, the the, the cannabis market has had you know numerous booms and busts over the past, call it four or five years as we first started getting deals listed and starting to raise money, and then we got various waves of legalization from you know different U.S. states, and then the big one last year was Canada legalizing, and all of these various catalysts have brought inflows and then inevitably um, outflows out of the cannabis sector. Um, cannabis sector, it's been it's been very volatile, and so what you're seeing now is you've had a full year of legalization in Canada. And it just was an absolute botched rollout. The government screwed it up royally. They didn't have 
um, the the right and the the right amount of stores in the in the right provinces and the right places. They didn't allow um, the right advertising. They handcuffed the companies as far as how they could position their products. And so what has happened is the government's reason for um, legalizing cannabis in Canada was to eradicate the black market and bring money into the real market so they could tax it. Right. Well. Um, the majority of cannabis sales in Canada are still in the black market for the all the things that that I just mentioned. The uh, you know Ontario I, I think didn't even have stores when 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 it first became legal last year October 2018, and so people have not been able to get it from um, government approved stores. You know the the from the brands that you would recognize, Canopy and Afri Aurora, etc. Um, and so now it's been a year. There's there's excess surpluses of of pot there's been some high profile um botched cases botched companies where they ran afoul of health canada and had their license revoked like can trust and so um that combined with the recent earnings that have come out that have sort of peeled back the the curtain and and shown people how much these companies are actually making or not making and how much um excess inventory they have you've had a race to the bottom not only in pot pricing um, but in the pot stocks, and so if you pull up a chart of the big ones, the, the Hexos, the Torres, they've now given up all their gains and plus some from a year ago when they were in every headline in the world. I'm sure our listeners remember that time when, you know, Tilray ran up over 100 or 150, whatever that was. And, you know, Canopy Growth was listed on the New York Stock Exchange and those stocks were going gangbusters. All those gains have been entirely replaced. In fact, I'm looking at a chart of Hexo right now, and it is back to 2017 levels. So you, you throw in tax loss, you throw in trend chasers that are abandoning the sector, um, and you layer in the fact that this is a very real thing projected to be a, um, a multi-hundred billion dollar global market um, that is still in its very, very early stages. And what you have is, um, like you say, there's some gimmies out there, and they're the names I already mentioned that are that are trading below where they did early in 2018. And so the only thing I would say is, um, technically speaking, they've got a bit more to get back. Like, it's funny, this this Hexo chart, it's, the stock went from $1.20 in, in 2017 to over $11.40 in 2019. And technically, uh, now it's trading at, um, excuse me, 235. Technically, it could go back below $2. And so it's crazy, right? Complete round trip. So the last point on that is, um, yeah, the big, all the big companies are viable candidates for a long-term portfolio. And I think they could get cheaper over the next 30 days as, um, you know, people just look to clear out their portfolios for end of year reasons. Agreed. You want to hear a joke? Sure. How's the weather in Spokane? Do you want a real answer? It's a bit cloudy today and rainy. What's the weather in? Degrees. Ballpark. Oh, 40 degrees. Oh, okay, no. So that it actually doesn't apply. Do you know what R. Kelly's favorite weather is? What is it? In the teens. <laughs> <laughs> I think I like the pirate one better, but that's pretty good. <laughs> 
credit where credit is due. That came from the same gentleman that gave me the pirate one, uh, Mr. Dave Gallagher. So shout out to him. I couldn't help myself. I'm sorry, everybody. Um, let's talk lithium really quick because I think that's another sector that's bottoming out. I had the pleasure of speaking with and following up with Simon Moores from Benchmark Minerals, who does as good a job, they do as good a job as anyone, um, with the exception maybe of Joe Lowry, who also does a great job of keeping track of the different types of lithium prices, companies, research in the space and trends, right? And so we were, you know, we had a good half hour to hour discussion about the lithium space and what that looked like in the next five to 10 years. And and he believes that, you know, this is going to be the bottom, not just for, you know, the spot price for the various types of lithium that's needed in the world, but the, the, the price for everything from the producers to the companies with real assets, companies like Advantage Lithium, right? Companies that have a project in between two producers, um, with a net present value of over $600 million U.S. and yet have a market cap somewhere around, I think it's like $30 million the last time I checked, if I'm not mistaken, Canadian. So a, a huge disconnect. He believes 2019, um, in retrospect, will be the bottom for all of it and believes that not only will 2020, 21, and 22 be a much, much better uh, market for the better lithium names, but he believes we're going to exceed um, the highs that we've seen. So it, it's, you know, whether it's cannabis, uranium, gold, lithium, copper, um, everything but zinc really right now has very, very robust fundamentals going into 2020. And and frankly, the macro uh, backdrop and everything but the base metals to kind of support a much better year. So I'm excited for 2020. Any thoughts on the lithium space, Nick? Um, I would just quote his numbers, which I happen to have just written a report about. So I have them right here. So, um, you know, um, benchmark intelligence said that from 2010 to 2018, the global capacity for lithium ion battery production grew 875% from 30 gigawatt hours to 293 gigawatt hours. That's from 2010 to 2018. From now over the next 10 years, they're saying that's going to grow to, a capacity of 2,027 gigawatt hours of lithium-ion battery production capacity. That's another 600% growth in the next 10 years. And the projects, the pipeline, just like in gold, just like in copper, it's Hmm. simply not there. If you look at projects like Rio Tinto just brought on um, uh, uh, whatever you want to call it, an adjacent lithium operation to its borate facility that it's been running for decades in California, and we would need like multiple, like dozens of those new new supply plants to come online to satiate this demand to 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 get the lithium for the battery production growth that I just mentioned. And then you look at um, well, two things I guess. Um, uh, one is the price of lithium, how far down it's gone, and that has delayed projects further because we know that projects are capital intensive, and no one wants to finance capital-intensive lithium projects when the price of the underlying commodity is going the wrong way. And so you've seen delays in projects that should be getting built, like um, like Namaska, um, um, for example. Um, and then you you look at the, just the need for these projects to, to come online. And like you say, the, the fundamentals are, are right there, whether it's uranium or whether it's lithium or whether it's 
the other base metals that are needed for this ongoing electrification of everything. Agreed. Um, let's pivot real quick and, and, and rant a little bit. Roger Stone, longtime advisor to President Trump, has been found guilty on all seven counts. And you know, I hear a lot about Mueller's witch hunt and how Mueller's report and investigation didn't accomplish anything. But it's worth noting that we've had dozens of people indicted or found guilty of crimes related to that investigation. I mean, if you go down the list of just even like the principles in in, in this investigation, these are high-level people, man. Trump's 2016 campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, is in prison, guilty of fraud. Rick Gates is awaiting sentencing after agreeing to cooperate. This is Man- Man- Manafort's deputy on the campaign. Um, after pleading guilty to invest to to a conspiracy charge, Trump's former national security advisor Michael Flynn is awaiting sentencing. Trump's former personal attorney Michael Cohen is in prison. A foreign policy advisor on Trump's campaign, George Papadopoulos, was convicted of lying to investigators and did time in prison. And we don't we haven't even gotten to Mr. Giuliani, who's now under investigation for almost the exact same thing that. His that that Trump's ex personal attorney was under investigation for so obviously a pattern here. Um, <laughs> Trump saying he he said he was going to drain the swamp. I didn't think it would go like this, but man, <laughs> whichever way, whichever side you're on, whichever way you feel politically, you can't deny that that's a lot of guilty pleas, um, and 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 guilty verdicts for you know. A group that is 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 frankly been brought on by the president and his administration. And if I was anywhere near President Trump right now, I'd be running, running, not looking back, just running because I, I I don't see the slowing down. So a couple things from my agnostic point of view. First is I just simply can't keep up anymore, and <laughs> I'm not sure. I want to, like I turned on meet the press this Sunday and I hadn't seen it in a few weeks and I haven't really been keeping up probably as much as I should with the impeachment. As I've told you, um, it's a whole nother like morning newsletter, like the New York times has a whole separate impeachment newsletter and my morning (laughs) newsletter routine is already long enough. And so the Chuck Todd was going through the latest round of interviews and congressional hearings and the beginning of the public portion of the process. And I looked at my wife and I was like, do you have any idea what's been going on? And we just look at each other and like, no, we can't even keep up anymore, man. And so that's like my first thing. Um, and then the second thing is, um, I think it's part of a, a, a more broader movement afoot, right? Where we're just having more government accountability in general. And so not to not, coming at this from, I wish Trump got impeached. I'm, I wish he didn't get impeached. He didn't do anything wrong on either side. Just saying, good that we're finally not letting these people, no matter what party they're on, they just happen to be Republicans this time, holding them at least somewhat accountable. Because I'd be willing to bet if we had full transparency through um, administrations of the past call it 20 or 30 years, Democrat or Republican, you would be able to drum up charges on many of them. And so I'm I'm happy to see government officials charged. I think more of them should be. I absolutely agree on both sides, on all sides of it. Um, Right is right. Wrong is wrong. Get on the right side of things and do things the right way. It's the one thing that 
you know, allows America to thrive in the areas it thrives in is the rule of law or the perceived rule of law. We saw what just happened in Bolivia with Evo Morales. Um, you know, many, many, many people think this was a U.S. Um, what's the word? Aided coup. Um, I wouldn't disagree with that. There was obviously, it looks like, some election fraud that ultimately helped um, get Mr. Morales out of there. But let's be very clear. He's been very, very um, vocal about wanting to redistribute the wealth of the country um, to to the poor and the middle class. And, 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 you know, that didn't make a lot of friends among the wealthy um, I, I, I think here in America, when we look at it, it's the reason why I don't see a Bernie Sanders for a presidential campaign to take it to the next level. Um, but however you feel about Bolivia or Hong Kong, or and we've said this every week almost, there is absolutely a fourth turning that is afoot. It is happening. We are in the eye of it. Um, and I believe it'll continue for years. And unfortunately, I believe in 2020, it's going to be a little bit more chaotic. Um, so something to watch out for. I don't think this is a trend that is going away anytime soon. I think it's a trend that's just beginning. Look at Argentina last month, the elections there. Um, anywhere you look, right? Everywhere you look, there's, there's, there's change afoot, whether you like the change or not. People are searching for different alternatives to the status quo. It's why Donald Trump won in 2016. Um, whether you agree with the administration and I disagree with a lot of, of, of the policy, it's why people voted for him. The same reason that people voted for Barack Obama prior to Mr. Trump. So it should be interesting in 2020. Again, speaks more to the volatility that I see on the way. Sweet. It's tough if you've been trying to promote a silver project in Bolivia over the past couple of weeks. <laughs> or a lithium and, one. <laughs> that's correct. Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, and then just going back to Trump and then we can move on. Um, all that stuff we just said about the impeachment and right is right and wrong is wrong. And we're glad people are being held accountable. I still have him winning the election. Do you? As do I. Absolutely. As do I. I'll, yep. I'll, you know, we had this discussion back in, I want to say early 2016 before the election. And, and, you know, you had asked, we were in Baltimore and we were having lunch with the, with the, with the outsider club group. And we were all talking and, and you asked what I thought. And I said, well, it's interesting because my brother's on his campaign trail, which he was at the time. And I said, well, look, you know, my brother who's talking to everybody has a lot of people coming to him that, that traditionally vote Democrat that are saying they're voting for Trump because they want something different. Um, I can disagree, and a lot of people can disagree with uh, Mr. Trump's moral character. I think he's a criminal. I think he's a despicable human being, the way he treats women, the way he tries to divide the country, the way he talks about immigrants, the way he treats kids at the border. Um, a million things that I dislike. But the bottom line is, I think he has the backing and the right messaging um, and that's a whole nother conversation with Stephen Miller and his, you know, white supremacist self. Um, but bottom line is they've gotten the messaging right and they've rallied their base, whether you agree with that base or not. I am not one of these people that believes every Trump voter is racist, but I do believe many of 
the people within Trump's administration that are that are me- creating the message absolutely have ties to white supremacy, Roger Stone included, who should feel very comfortable when he gets sentenced because there's a whole part of the yard in federal prison, from what I understand, that allows for him to hang out with his people. So, you know, he'll he'll get to see what the pecking order looks like once in there. But yeah, to answer your question, that's a long way of saying I, I absolutely think right now, if nothing changes, um, he wins a second term because I don't see the type of messaging from the other side that is effective. Um, beating up on billionaires and success is not going to do it this time around. No, but he does need the stock market. So what you said, as long as nothing changes, is important because I think the stock market does help him a bit, the record highs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. Um, do we want to talk Colin Kaepernick? He's finally getting a workout. 13 or 14 teams have now signed up to attend this Saturday workout. We talked about a month or so ago when Jay-Z and Rock Nation got involved with the NFL. There was a partnership there. He got a lot of criticism because according to sources, he didn't consult Colin Kaepernick about it. Um, And I I said at the time, you know, if you look at Jay-Z, Mr. Sean Carter, he's got a long history of not taking things on unless he has a blueprint for being effective at it. And I think that, you know, the whispers that he had something to do with getting Kaepernick this workout um, are like, there's probably some truth there. I don't think it's a coincidence. Uh, Mr. Kaepernick said he's he's excited. He's been in shape for the past three years. Um, We all know that he's good enough to be in the NFL, if not as a starter, at least as a backup um, on many, many, many teams. I'm curious to see how the workout goes. The NFL was uh, criticized heavily for scheduling it on a Saturday. Traditionally, these workouts are held on a Tuesday because, of course, there's Sunday games. And so it would make the traveling a bit difficult for executives that wanted to go see it. But regardless, you know, you have a a, a large group of teams that are going to be out there looking at this workout. I'm curious to see what comes of it. Any thoughts there, Nick? Um, they're just real straightforward thoughts. That one of the first is that he should have been playing for the past three years. Um, we know that statistically. We've talked about that before. I've linked to that before and can do so um, again. And we know that the NFL has admitted as much because they paid the man, right? So everybody knows. And so I'm glad that he got this workout, which he much deserves. But I won't be, you know, um, fully gratified until he has signed with a team. So wait and see. Glad that it's happening, though. Absolutely. You know what was not fully gratifying? What's that? I watched the Country Music Awards. I had a great time. My wife and I watched them. It was fun. No Sturgill Simpson. (laughs) I was the one? (laughs) You were the only one that watched. Go ahead. They had some good performers, man. But no Sturgill. I mean, I didn't see nominations. I didn't see a performance. I mean... Like no mention of him is is he and I I don't follow country music enough to to know this but is he an outcast within the country music community? You know they don't like it when you take a stand, Gerardo. As is L- one Lil of the Nas X on- was there with Billy Ray Cyrus, like he you know he brought his he brought his OG with him, Billy Ray Cyrus, to make sure he was good. No Sturgill. No, no Sturgill because um, well. There's a couple songs on the most recent album about it um, because he tells them like it is. And he says no to the yes men or however you want to phrase that. But 
he doesn't write like feel good country music that they play on country music radio. And so he is not part of um, the click, the mud tires, bonfires, beer drinking click. Right. And so, um, yeah, he's not in the pop country and they don't play him on the radio. And so he is um, ostracized, which is fine because, um, the the music speaks for itself and the album sales and the, the concert sales, I think, speak for themselves. And so, um, and the other thing is he's really um, not traditional country. I mean, the last album had a very distinct sort of jazz-ish vibe for it with uh, the saxophones, et cetera. And this has, the, the current one has a much grungier, ZZ Top-ish sort of funk sound. And, um, He's just not what they want and, and and says some things, frankly, that are off message like anti-war and anti-government and just anti-mainstream in general. And so for all those reasons, I think he says, fuck them. That, that, you know, it's and so they, interesting and, to and me. And they say, fuck you right back. Yeah, it's interesting to me, though, because, you, you know, country music is, is associated with, you know, typically a, a more Republican base than, than, than a left-leaning base, right? And the Republican base is supposed to be all about limited government, which you and I as libertarians, we lean libertarian, um, embrace. And, and, and it's all about, you know, privacy and, and, and the right to free speech. And, and then you get somebody that embodies all of that. And, oh, by the way, can fucking play his ass off, right? Writes beautifully, can sing the whole thing. You would think i would think that the industry would embrace that right i mean he has a line in his new album that says it's time for the music to change how it sounds and and i see him as somebody that's trying to move that forward and why they don't embrace that message is beyond me um if you love the vets why wouldn't you embrace an anti-war message not war just for the sake of it if we're going to do it let's be careful because people die if you love the vets why wouldn't you get behind that i don't get it if you love you know privacy and limited government why wouldn't you embrace somebody that is talking about being suspicious of big brother and and the invasion of privacy and and all the things that he gets into i mean blows my mind i don't i don't know because like he says in the lyric before that the truth's been shrouded. He says that this town's getting crowded. The truth's being shrouded. I think it's time to change up the sound. Yep. Well said. Nick, I asked you about the weather in Spokane. I know the update, but I'm excited to provide it. Can we talk about the squirrel lady? So after you and I talked last <laughs> week, I did some investigating into the squirrel lady's fate. If you'll remember, there was a lady in Spokane who had <laughs> rigged, rigged up a rudimentary self-electrocution system to zap squirrels who were eating her bird food. And she had killed some squirrels that I guess some passersby saw dangling from the fence dead. And so she caught a charge from an animal rights group who reported her. And the charge was obviously cruelty to animals. You and I talked about it um, when it happened. And I said that it was nonsense. You can shoot squirrels in the face with a shotgun <laughs> legally <laughs> <and> so, <laughs> extra, executing them with uh with electricity on your own property shouldn't be a problem uh the judge at her case agreed and threw it out and so way to go squirrel lady for sticking up for your right to electrocute squirrels way to go squirrel lady um 
Good job. Good, good for her. Good for her. Um, let's, uh, let, let, let's talk some stock names. We gave some names in the gold space earlier. We're expecting a decision any day now from the nuclear working group, um, the uranium nuclear fuel working group that is supposed to provide the recommendations and the report to the Trump administration, which will then roll out its, um, its, its, its series of action steps, hopefully, right? That's what we're all hoping for. Are there names in the cannabis or uranium space that you would like to just highlight, not recommend, just, you know, hey, this is something you should do some due diligence on. It's interesting. I mean, um, not to go into a, a tiny, tiny stock, I can just talk about one that you should be taking a look at if you have any interest in uranium at all and haven't looked yet. It's, it's stinking Cameco for crying out loud. They're going to pay an annual dividend in December that if you buy shares by the end of November, you'll qualify for. Um, the stock had a little bit of a pop after the most recent earnings because the CEO was upbeat and said some things publicly about seeing the space starting to improve, but the the shares are are, are still very cheap and, and, and worthy of a look, and I think probably the safest way you can get into the uranium space. I like it. I like it. Nick, anything else that you have? We talked uh, draining the swamp. We talked gold. We talked the major U.S. indices, cannabis, uranium, lithium. We got an update from the squirrel lady. Anything else you'd like to enlighten us on? Do you have an interesting story for us this week? No, I was. I told you about the squirrel lady. I think the the next couple of weeks are a time to to turn to your portfolio. That's what I've been doing. Buy the quality names that we can we continue talking about, and ones that we don't talk about that are bigger. There's plenty of good buys out there from Osisco and and Sandstorm to to Torex and and Trilogy. There's a bunch of quality names out there that are just really cheap, and and now is the time if you can afford and are fortunate enough to be able to. Agreed. Agreed. Nick, it's been insightful as always. Everybody be kind to each other. Have a great week. Have a fun week. Be safe out there. I am Gerardo Del Real. This has been episode 44 of Bizarro World. Say goodbye, Nick. See ya.